0: This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Well, I'm very happy to welcome Raven Dana to Dreamland this week for a funny reason. And I'll tell you about that in just a minute. If you don't know who Raven is, Raven is one of the people who had a personal face to face encounter at the cabin. You can see her. In the visitors' documentary, the Travel Channel documentary, which is now on Discovery Plus, and you can also get it on Dreamland by simply going to Shock Docs, The Visitors, or or The Visitors, Whitley Strieber. Either one will take you to to it. And it's about two or three dollars to to rent it. Anyway, she was there on she was in the um, in the documentary talking about her experiences. She's talked about it also. There's a video in the subscriber area that was made very kindly by Steve Neal and uh, Mary Cacapaglia, his uh, his friend, of uh, uh, me and Raven talking together uh, about the cabin experience. But I have a feeling this isn't really about that. Raven's website, by the way, is ravendana.com. And I'll ask Raven in just a moment what she does and how you can engage with her. But um, f- first, I'd like you to just briefly, since you it's been 2011 since you were on Dreamland talking about the Cavern Experience, uh, and I'm pretty sure it was on Dreamland. Anyway, yeah, you and Laurie Barnes were on Dreamland together. That's a long time now. Boy, now, why don't you tell us about the Cavern Experience again? And I think that it, it should be interesting because it's somewhat evolved in your mind uh, you've remembered you remembered a an aspect uh, uh, of it regarding the uh, is it the eye for us? Uh, yeah yeah so tell us what happened that night or I'll, let me set the scene Go ahead. the scene is this um the dog at that time was not barking <laughs> in any case in any case I, I love it when people's homes and lives come into the show so i'm not adverse to that uh the situation is this Anne has seen a letter from rape, a letter which we still have of course in the communion letters archive in archives of the impossible at rice university and she puts it aside and she says whitley look at this one and so i read the letter and i say I, my initial impression was my god is this imaginary what is going on here? But Anne had read so many letters. She knew that it wasn't. She knew better than you did because she had such a huge perspective. She said, no, it's not imaginary. These are real. These are real experiences. She doesn't know any of these other people and there are a lot of people who describe this the same way. She said, we need to have her up to the cabin because she's so actively engaged in this and she's going to have something happen when we take her up there. So... We invited Raven up to the cabin. She came more than once. Mm-hmm. And uh the first time she was there with Lori Barnes and some other people, and there was a huge experience. Maybe it was before that. It was, it was um before yeah, that with Dora Ruffner. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Let's first talk about that. The experience <clears throat> with Dora Ruffner and uh the the other people at the at the cabin when you were that was really the first time we had a group up mm-hmm. yeah so tell us about that
1: so that was that was uh yeah the very first time was when we were all sleeping in the living room and um we heard well first I woke up and it was hot it was very hot and um Uh, As I went to roll over, I could hear what I thought was rain, a lot of rain. And I heard some talking, some movement from the other side of the room. uh, And pretty soon we were all, are you awake? Are you awake? So we were chatting with each other about what happened and what we heard. And again, this series of this wave of heat, this sense of something, something being present and the rain, this downpour of rain and also birds. At like, it was like three o'clock in the morning. Very long story short. So we get up eventually and we look out and there was no rain. There had been no rain. Right. But we heard, right, we heard this incredible, well, sounded like rain to us, right? And but, but that combination of the heat and the feeling of presence and the rain and then the sound of birds right after it. So that was the very first experience at the cabin.
0: Now, that night, though, later... You were all lying in bed awake and there began to be something jumping around in the in the room as I recall. Is that the same night? Yes, I think so
1: Yes, that's the same night that's the same night because there was uh, somebody put, somebody thought that they were getting pranked and there was pushing on the bed and other things moving in the room and yes that was later on that night or early that morning.
0: Yeah, early in the morning and the, the um, you could talk but you couldn't actually move.
1: Yes, I could talk, but I couldn't actually move. That was right. That's what I remember. Mean. Everyone
0: was in that same state. It was, yeah, this, all the people in the room. And in fact, one of them is still to this day, doesn't want it mentioned that
1: mm-hmm. he was even there. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and uh, yeah, I remember I wrote you and we, we wrote back and forth uh, for A New World, the book A New World. And that experience is described in it. And then the, the next day, do you recall how you felt? And Because it was not a an absolute total contact experience like it would be the next time. But it was something strange, and there was cer- certainly something going on. Do you yeah, recall anything about the next few days? I
1: don't recall much about the next day. I, I felt like, you know, from what I remember is this, I felt like I was um, – like when you're getting over something, when your head's a little fuzzy and you can't quite make you know, it like that blanket around your head feeling. I felt out of time. I guess that's the best way I can describe it. That the way that you feel first thing in the morning where you're not sure if the, you know, the, the dream is lingering in the background. So it was that I felt kind of disoriented and out of time for a few days afterwards.
0: Now you have a website, ravendana.com Mm-hmm. may i know and all of us know what would happen to us if we went there what do you you have something on offer there
1: oh yes well i i do coaching with people i do stress management work with people and uh working on looking at patterns and what works and what doesn't work in your life but i also have um, connected to a youtube site where i put up little uh vignettes about different subjects about what happens in the between worlds and how we're connected to that. And I do some, I talk a bit about visitors and I talk about strange experiences. And because we've all had my my purpose in that portion of what I offer is that I want people to have a, a safe place to talk about their experiences and also to mine for information about what can we get out of this. It's instead of getting stopped by the fear or getting caught in analysis, how can we look at our experiences and use them to open our awareness, to open our consciousness? So that's that, that's that segment of what I do.
0: That phrase, not getting caught in analysis, is hugely important. right?
1: yes. yes.
0: She, she understands the importance of that. Tell us when you get, because most people are frantically analyzing this when it happens to them especially. What did it have? What were they real? What, what would you say?
1: Well, I'd say for one thing, you know, when we're in that state or when we're in what I call it as the between, um, the, the language is different. It's uh, we experience things in images and symbols and emotions. So it's not words and it's not linear and it can't be analyzed. Our minds want to do that. But the best advice I can offer is to be with whatever it is and sit with it and see how it feels and notice what associations come up and where does it take you? What does it make you think about? How do you feel? Because analysis is not going. It doesn't work. It's, just, it's you cannot analyze symbols and, and make logic, sequential sense. Our brains are pattern. Uh, they're pattern making machines. So we try to find patterns in things and they're often wrong. Right. For ex- I'll give you a great example. If I were working with somebody and said, okay, I'm holding an object in my hand and I want you to just tell me anything that you get about this object. And their brain is going to try to make whatever they get into something. So if they say, oh, oh, it's a, it's an egg. Well, actually, see what I'm holding in my hand is a teeny tiny pine cone. Now they might get the egg shape, but their brain's going to turn it into something right away. So if I say, well, sit with that, what else is there? They might say, Oh, it has ridges. I keep thinking of a pineapple. I keep thinking of a forest. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. Those symbols are leading you in the right direction. So it's like that. That's what happens to us. We get symbols that lead us in a direction. And if we follow, if we flow with those symbols, instead of letting our brain, our mind take over, we get a lot farther in in what we're being shown and what we can experience.
0: You know, the Western world is telling us we're not supposed to think like that. That's not how our minds are supposed to work. But I think it's how our minds actually do work. Oh, it and is how our minds work. We have to impose another level on it that's very stifling in a way.
1: Yes. Well, we've make a we made a big deal out of intellect, and intellect is not intelligence. It's a slice of the pie. In fact, the majority of what we are and what we do comes from our deep mind, from our deep unconscious awareness. That's where most of our decisions are made. So... You know, we get trapped by putting the ego center, you know, the the left linear brain has its place, but it's not the driver's seat. It, It should be sitting there with the map, right, sitting there reading the map. But our intuition and our instinct is what needs to be in the driver's seat, because that's where the information comes from, that our linear mind is too narrowly bracketed to get and attend to. And it's critically important that we reclaim our ability to do that. Our ancestors knew how to do it, and we have pushed all of that intelligence aside in favor of analysis, and it's a mistake.
0: I I think it's a fundamental human mistake, and it's also why we don't understand the close encounter experience, because we can't understand it analytically, as you said earlier. Yeah, it's It's experiential. So if you want to do this with Raven, I would go to ravendana.com and explore this. Uh, this is someone very unusual and very real. This is real. This is not some person trying to make money over off of guruship or false claims. I know this woman is real. Uh, and as far as making money off of it is concerned, forget it. She's not a lot of that in there.
1: Well, and there's also the, all the classes that I put up on YouTube are mostly offered for free, and, and they and I do a lot of research when I look at things. You know, I just put up a class uh, about the trees because the visitor experience has been so. Uh, how can I say this? I think the primary message I've gotten out of contact experience has been that we are all. I mean, it's going to sound just like one of those throwaway phrases, but we are all literally connected to each other and to nature. One of the reasons why we get so screwed up around our place on the planet is because we put our human selves above animals and nature and other beings that exist. It's a mistake. But the truth is we are in communion with all of that. And as we recognize the sentience of nature and other beings We are part, we become, we recognize we've never been alone. We're part of this greater whole. We have the capacity to understand and communicate with nature and with beings like the visitors that, again, for what I call it, live in the between.
0: You know, um, I've never, I may have done this once or twice on Dreamland, but I write poetry and I wrote a poem that is, fits what Raven is talking about so well about our place in nature and looking at the place of others in nature. I'm going to read it now. It's called A Fly. On my slice of pie, a pregnant fly. She's busy with the sugar glaze and a bit of cherry. Always hungry, I'm sure, carrying all those babies. If I swat her, then they also must die how her many lensed eyes reflect me, watching carefully. Her wings flutter, busy, nervous. She knows she's despised. But not by me. I have fallen in love with her and her pulsing belly. And the little bit of hope that somehow, in all the great vault of the world, the clouds, the speeding days, the stars, that little bit of hope that is what she carries of the vast of life.
1: I love that. Yes.
0: Yeah. That's, yes. that's another way of looking at the world. It's yes. another way. It's your way very much, I think. I remember the time, Raven. Gosh, it's been a long time ago. We were walking in that park near your house at night. And we're sitting on a bench and all of a sudden, the ground started beating like a heart. Yes,
1: I remember that. It
0: was amazing. Yes. What a moment. And all the way from there to here, and here we are in what is for me a very strange moment. Because a couple of nights ago, what happened, folks? Oh, you know what I'm going to do here? It's 15 minutes in. Uh, There's this crawl. You can't see it, Raven. But instead of commercials, since they absolutely do not work, uh, nobody responds to them anymore. We're trying a crawl. And the crawl says, listening free, go to unknowncountry.com to subscribe to this great site. Subscribers, tell your friends. Because that's the way we grow. If you're a subscriber to Unknown Country, it is no longer necessary to hide that from other people. The world has changed. Go ahead and tell your friends about this marvelous experience because I think it is a marvelous experience. And I think you do too. Or You wouldn't have been paying money for it. And you're, you're listening free. Come on. It's time to step up. $5 a month will not break your bank. Okay, anyway, uh, we had a, you had a second experience at the cabin. Yes. And that's a little bit different. Let me set the scene. The afternoon before, we had, Laurie Barnes was there, you were there. You know, another lady was there with Lori, and I have honestly not kept up with her, and I don't even remember her name. She was there. Um, I was... um, Let's see. Ann was was upstairs. Oh, oh, yes. Drew Cummings was there, and his wife. And they were filming a documentary. And... I was Andrew's room was full because Laurie was in Andrew's room and I was out camping in the woods with Andrew. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, "Boy, I hope we're okay out here." But in any case, it it was the most complex experience single experience we ever had at the cabin. I think you had another one, a third one there too, but we'll talk about that in a minute. Um so um is that the night we went out to the cave? I think so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. There, there was a cave I used to go to, which was about a mile from the from the house up on a cliff uh, overlooking a little stream. And getting into the cave was very hard, dangerous. But I felt like if we did this, if we made this a kind of feat, we would we would attract their interest because they we would see we were trying. So we all go trooping out there in this, and it's raining to make it worse. It's insane effort to get into this cave, which we do. And I had been in it alone a number of times and I would go in there. I would have to have a, it was not a deep cave, but you still needed a headlight. And you, you know, I had a headlight and everything. And I would turn out the light and sit in there in that cave alone because I knew that I was so far away from anyone at all that nothing I could do in that cave would attract any attention whatsoever. It was a place of total surrender. And this was an act of surrender. It was a ritual of surrender that we all did, and we all went and we chanted in the cave. And it was actually kind of fun, the whole thing, and we all came back alive, which I was very grateful for. I would never do it again like that. It was crazy, crazy night. Mm-hmm. So previously, Laurie Barnes, this is the night, folks, you, you know about, that Laurie Barnes had seen her brother on the road and, and had seen him so clearly that she asked him to come down to the cabin and meet her friends. And the reason that was strange was that he had been de- de- declared dead 20 years ago. She had disappeared. And... Um, it, it, She thought he was actually alive until he said, well, I'm just here to tell you I'm all right, and floated back into the woods and disappeared. So that's the situation. Anne already knew that we would see the visitors that night. She told because of the Laurie Barnes experience. The dead and the visitors being very interlocked, as we all know, on this show. Okay, so it's evening. It's night. We're back. You've gone to bed. Now,
1: fill us in. So I woke up and I was very hot. I sat up and I opened the window and uh, laid back down and turned on my side with my my back to the window. And in just a minute or two, I felt what I was sure, what I thought was... Um, a raccoon or a skunk, like something came in, I felt pressure on the bed. And my thought, I I didn't think, I I didn't have a thought in my head that it was a visitor. I had a thought in my head I was going to get bit or skunked. So I very carefully and very slowly turned to where I I needed to look down to see because it was pressed against my leg, whatever it was. And when I did, when I turned, I saw uh, that it, of course, it was not a skunk or a raccoon. It it was a visitor crouched in the window with one leg on the bed. And I was so just uh, taken, so taken by surprise that when, and uh, and my sense was it might've been taken by surprise as well. It, just this, this look exchanged between us and it raised a hand. And when it raised a hand, I reached out and touched, touched its fingers And this sensation, this incredible sensation ran. It was like electricity, but not painful. But it ran down my hand and down the side of my body and to the point where its uh, leg was touching my leg on the bed. And I got this clear impression, like, what do you want me to do? Like, it was asking me, what do you want me to do? And I answered in in my mind, not out loud, go down the hall. Well, it, because I know everybody was waiting for something to happen, but it didn't go down the hall. It disappeared very quickly back out the window. And then I pushed myself up and sat with my back to the wall. And that's when I got like, I. Uh, that's when I started to get scared. Because what I saw then was, and again, the, the visitor experience was startling and quick. But for whatever reason, I was much more curious than I was frightened. I was compelled I was thrilled and then I started seeing both with my eyes open and my eyes closed what I would describe as the eye of Horus and I found that strangely disturbing I I I just I, I couldn't understand how it was connected or why it was connected But then I just, I stayed there. I sat with my back to the, I I had to pee so desperately, it was ridiculous. But I sat there with my back to the wall until it was light enough out that I could get up and go to the bathroom. And then I realized other people were up and something had happened. And then you came down the stairs and had us all sit at the table and write down our experiences before we talked to each other.
0: Yes, exactly. Well, this was part of, an extremely complex experience, folks. Uh th- this is what happened. Uh, uh that happened to Raven. Lori and another the other bedroom had the visitor showed up in that bedroom too. Lori and the other woman both saw this person, this visitor. Which was a little gray, one of the classic gray people. What was that? I have no idea. Well, I hope they let's continue. Anyway, my son and I were sleeping down in the woods and we came up at about dawn. And as we walked to the cabin, we could see across the swimming pool and the little deck toward the front of the cabin. And this hooded, translucent sort of hooded figure came out the front of the door down the deck and out across the backyard and into the woods, racing around the trees. So it it didn't, in other words, go through the trees, it went around them.
1: Mm -hmm. I remember you just
0: that. Yeah. And um, when we came into the house, Drew and his wife were on their feet because Drew earlier had seen a figure, a little man with a huge head standing beside the bed and when it had startled him, it had turned into the head of Horus. Now, and and they were standing on their feet because as it left, it left behind a lot of heat. In the, they felt the bed was on fire, so this was an experience of, of on a mythological level and on a very physical level at the same time. Yes. And I, th- I think that's terribly important, and we need to just go quickly to Horus. Uh, who is in the ancient Egyptian way, healing and well-being were associated with Horus. Yes. Uh, His brother Set had torn his eye out. Yes. And his right eye was the sun and his left eye was the moon, the one eye looking in and the other looking out. Do you have any memory of which eye it was yes,
1: it was oh, the because t- i looked it up afterwards because i thought it's the eye of horus but it's flipped so it was the eye looking in the eye looking to the moon
0: the inward looking eye
1: inward looking eye yes well
0: that that would make sense okay so those are the the experiences of the of the past and now i'm going to run the crawl again which of course i'll forget to run i am not a publicist at all i'm not like these people who have these huge podcasts this is basically for people who are drawn to this by other than conventional means and and that that's what it's about so uh uh, so do subscribe if you're not subscriber and subscribers do tell your friends and we're reaching the half hour point so Free Dreamlanders. This is a very beautiful, it's the most beautiful of all of our commercials. Watch it and take action on it. Subscribers, you will not be watching the commercial. Now what I want to do is to say why I have got Raven with us in the first place. Now. I don't know. I was sitting doing my 3 a.m. meditation two mornings ago, morning before last. And suddenly this very powerful need. You have to have Raven on the show. It was it was undoubtedly my wife. I, I, it was Anne. It had to be Anne. You have to have Raven on the show. Right away. I mean, you have to do it right away. And so here we are. And we're going to kind of take it from here. And I've got to put it in your court, Raven. And her website, by the way, is ravendana.com. And you've heard the extraordinary level of wisdom that Raven possesses. So if you want to share in that, you go to ravendana.com. Now, why are we doing this? Do you have any idea?
1: Um, I I think. So let me tell you what happened to me the night before last. Yeah, okay. Okay, so that day... I At the end of my uh, time spent with clients, I always do some kind of uh, imagery or meditation. Three times, the the three calls I had, uh, in the middle of the imagery, there there appeared for reasons I couldn't figure out at the time, a cat, a gray cat. And, you know, when I see what I see, I just say it and I move on. It didn't seem, um, you know, the first time I noticed it, the second time. By the third time, I'm thinking, this memo is for me even though it's showing up in other people's uh, information. So after that, in the evening, I went out to sit on my deck like I often do. And there's a lot of animals around. There's cats, there's squirrels, there's you name it. I get it. uh, Raccoons and skunk and uh, a local hedgehog that hangs out in my yard. Anyway, up onto the porch jumps this gray cat. And I look at it and it's the cat that I had been seeing all day. And the cat is very hungry, uh, very long story short. I give the cat some food. The cat walks in my house like it's been there the whole time. Uh, st- the cat is with me now. I have now, the cat has now adopted me. Uh, but that night, so that night, I as I, I don't even have a cat box, but I decide I'm gonna keep the cat in the house anyway and see what happens. So I bring the cat up to, to bed. It's about midnight. And uh, I wake up about three o'clock in the morning and the cat is draped across my chest. And I, I wake up because I've had a dream that the cat was not just a cat, that it was, there was another being infused with the cat. And it whispered in my ear, literally whispered in my ear, saying, my name in the gray place is Whisper. And I woke up with the cat draped across me. And I, and I had this tremendous, the same kind of tremendous rush of heat, of energy. And I'm telling you, um, while you hear me, I'm a little congested. I was coughing. I was doing my thing. This cat never moved. This cat did not move off me from the time we went to bed until 10 o'clock in the morning. But at 3 o'clock, that's when I woke up from that experience of, of, of being told that the cat was not just a cat.
0: And that was the time approximately when I was being told to. Correct to get is there any chance we could see the cat
1: actually the cat has been glued to me except for right now i as i sat down to do this the cat went off to lay on my bed but i if you hold on a second i'll go get her yeah she's not going to be far away i guarantee that
0: i'm going to just leave this going folks i want you to see the whole process and hear the whole process For those of you who are listening, Raven has gotten up and is going to get the cat. And I'm very interested to see whether or not that will work. Yes, I think it has worked. Here's the cat.
1: So, this is the cat that my granddaughter has subsequently named Storm Shadow. And also, what happened after that, after I woke up with the cat on me and all that. Uh, the cat never woke up. She didn't care. But an actual storm then came through. And that was the beginning of the storms that the next day took out the power in the area. So it's um, it's been quite the storm happening here. So for some reason, I have the impression that whatever that dream experience was with the cat and the cat showing up in the storm are all connected. Do I understand it? No, I do not understand it. Do I have a sense that it's true? Yes, I do.
0: There is something there and it, it, it relates back to what we were talking about at the very beginning about our relationship with nature. And mm-hmm. you remember folks, I read the little poem about the fly and, uh, and, and seeing the other creatures of the world in a very profound way as equals. And I mean, they're not, a fly does not have a human mind, a human brain, but the fly has a life. The cat, this beautiful cat lying there with her eyes half closed on Raven's uh, Raven's chest and uh, who has been wandering and hungry and now has found a place to be is amazing. The cat, you know, Annie said, when I asked Annie about compassion, she said simply, each of us is all we have. Mm -hmm. And that's true of not only human beings, but it's true of everyone. It's true of of Storm, the cat. It's Mm -hmm. true of every little fly. And then we think to ourselves, how do we live? We've got to eat. And it involves this whole process of dying and killing and not just killing animals but plants too even though if we're vegetarian somebody still dies when we eat yes i know you have a lot of knowledge about that and insight into it tell us about the the cycle of life and how to live in it without without maybe overdoing the emotions that are
1: well again I, i think compassion is the key that when we you know, when we eat something, whether we're going to eat a plant or whether we're eating a chicken, that that life is now becoming part of us and seeing through our eyes that we're internalizing and giving uh, expression and gratitude for that life as someday when our body falls to the ground, things are going to eat us and enjoy our flesh, and that's the way of things. But I do think, you know, there's this space for compassion to um, – You know, when you can uh, buy food that is treated well, buy animals that are treated well and not things that are factory farmed and have horrible lives, if it's possible. And even if it's not, then at least in that last moment, what you're giving them is this gift of becoming part of you and seeing and, and being part of your life. So I think that compassion is the key to understanding that, you know, it's a cycle that goes on. We just go on and on. Look at that kitty.
0: You know, that cat is totally melted on you. <laughs> I I, that looks like a cat who's been with you all of its life.
1: Forever. This is, and, and I'm telling you, the first time the cat's been off me is when I sat down to talk to you. And I couldn't figure out why. I thought, well, that's curious. And she went in and slept. She was on my pillow.
0: Wow. Well, this is a beautiful thing that's happening. I I had no idea what would happen when I was told, I guess by her to yep. call you she's been very active lately and uh she's been very she's a such an extraordinary presence you know she said almost the first thing she said after she passed was i'm not ann anymore but i will always be ann for you and that has been true i feel her as ann as a a much larger version and a more more uh open and wiser version of the An I knew, who was very large and open and wise, as you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But <laughs> I, could, I, I know that the soul is more than any individual physical yes. life. And I have a feeling you can talk
1: to that yes
0: yeah go ahead and talk to that a little bit tell us a little bit what your impressions of what a soul actually is are
1: well, you know again i think that because time is not linear that that our experience of being embodied is uh, is just like a leaf on a tree that we are the tree the soul is the tree and the leaves are all different aspects of our experience whether that's other lives as a human or whether we change, uh, fragment in different ways and become plants and animals, I don't have the answer to that. But I do believe that through what we call the soul, we have access to the sentience of all of nature, of all the parts of ourselves, of the enormous being that we are as we connect to each other and to the planet and to the cosmos. We think that we're very small and separate and that the mistake we make is that we're not separate we've never been separate we're not alone and i think the more that we can look within drop into that soul space we recognize that the parts of ourselves reach out in all directions all through nature all through humanity all through time and space and there's great solace in that there's hope in that that even if you know even if things are not going the way we want them to that this is one leaf on the tree of life. It's, it's not the whole conversation, and we forget that.
0: Yes, because what you're talking about is an aspect of life that transcends death. That, yes. that the price of passing through time and having novel experiences in time and learning ourselves that way from everything to the tiniest singular-celled animal all the way up to beyond the human level and higher than that, the price of the passage through time is death. You have to pay that price in order to pass through time. And I know that there are entities that are maybe on a higher plane than us who, when their body dies out, they dies or gets becomes too decrepit, they, they step out of it. And it's not like that for them, unlike this. But f- the price they pay is that, in tr- truly, have a completely rich experience of time, of it, 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 that, like we do, never knowing for a second what the next moment will be. They have to live as we do.
1: Yes, they have Could to forget. That
0: part of the reasons that grays are kind of here.
1: Well, I think that's, you know, uh, a, a likely conversation that, you know, they're again, they're here and there. They they live on what I want to say is in the fringe of where our awareness is able to comfortably go. That we do have uh, the capacity to speak with the dead, that we do have the capacity to uh, be in contact with visitors and other entities, but It's probably right, it's right at that dicey edge of where our capacity lies. And so in that zone, in that between, you know, that's our meeting place. That's the liminal place where we can remember parts of our larger self, where we can bring back energy and experience healing and experience even sometimes I think when we can't put words to it. I've had experiences where for a moment I just know why something is the way it is. It's explained to me not in words, but in the flash of understanding and insight. And I can't bring it back because there's no words for it. And it's very complex. But I, I think that's the place where we can where we have our true knowing. That's the place where I knew that trees were sentient long before science started saying, oh, by the way, those trees, they talk to each other. Oh, by the way. And if you haven't read anything about that, it's really incredible what's happening right now around the research about trees and their communication with each other.
0: Yeah, it's we've really had we, we, we just we had a story a couple of weeks ago on Unknown Country about the the discoveries that are being made about the consciousness of plants yes. and trees. And boy, I've had relationships with trees all my life. I'm, Me too. I have a lot of tree friends here, right here. This, I live in a blessed to live in a neighborhood with a lot of big trees and i think that the wise old trees and the young trees have very different attitudes they um, do yeah
1: but the you old trees but the old trees also can pass wisdom and information on to the young ones which nobody would have thought was possible even a decade ago which is absolutely astonishing
0: but absolutely it's
1: but it's but it's true
0: it is true I'm just looking at that cat. <laughs> Folks, if you're listening, what I'm doing is I'm looking at this completely cuddled cat. She looks like, she looks almost like part of Raven. I mean, they're like sharing the same heart in, in some way. It's amazing to see. Um, talk about communion. You're in communion with that cat.
1: Yes. Yeah.
0: I, You know, I knew this would be quite an interesting experience because when Anne tells me to do something like that and I don't do it, it's a fool. Oh, my God. Now she, the shape of her face makes her look like a gray. I know. Wow, <laughs> fascinating. Who, what are we actually looking at here, do you suppose?
1: I'm not sure.
0: You know, folks, if you're listening... Um, You know, I'm going to put, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put as the image for this show a picture of uh, Raven holding the cat. I think that's the the image. So you'll be able to see it too. Uh, I'm just making a note here so that I can find the right place for
1: it. My poor hair off the kitty. Poor kitty.
0: You know, you said something, you know, you've really changed. I mean, you've got a lot of, you are articulating wisdom that you've never articulated before. And you've probably had it maybe from even long before this life, but it's beginning to come out in words. And one of those was uh, that the visitors live in the fringe of where our consciousness can go. Yes. They're in the fringe of that. What does that mean?
1: I think that they they live in a, for lack of a better way to describe it, a frequency zone that we share, where we share space, we uh, we are capable, uh, our consciousness is able to get into that zone where they live. And I think that our consciousness is also able to get into the zone where the dead live. I think it's the same space. Uh, so I think it's, it's the kind of, I wouldn't say the limit, but I think it's the extent of our comfortable place in the liminal realm. And I think for those who, of us who have practiced, that we can go out farther and go deeper and go into different territory, different frequency zones, different translations of reality, and that it takes practice. But I think that anybody, anybody who dreams can, can get into that space.
0: Anybody who dreams, how would you do that, though? I dream, and how do I get into that space?
1: Well, you know, I I think in those moments before sleep and those moments after waking, you are conscious of the dual nature of you're there and you're here. So part of it, I think, is becoming aware in the dream space that you have access. It is not just a dream, not just something your mind is doing, but it's an access point to another to other realities. And again, it's practice. When you come back in the morning and you lie there, you can re-enter a dream, or you can. That's I think that's prime time for having an experience when everything, when the gates are all open, and we're more in tune with the deeper part of our awareness. Before again our our liminal, our our linear conscious mind starts to take over.
0: <clears throat> yeah. The, and you know, we need that linear mind to function in this very linear world that we've ended up in. It's kind of a, you know, it's it's a funny kind of place. It's sort of a it, we it, do it it's, is it's funny. I, I mean I love it, like that, But it 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 strips away so much of yeah. us in order for us to function here.
1: Yes, well, that's the thing. I mean, we have the brain makes barriers. It makes filters so that we can navigate this little three-dimensional reality with a fair amount of ease. But unfortunately, those filters are also blinders that rob us of those other spaces and dimensions that we do have access to, that we always have access to. Those thoughts, those intuitions, those insights, those dreams – some experiences with the with the dead. You know, my grandmother um, had dreams that came true. And there wasn't a person in the family that wouldn't listen to her if she called them up and said, Hey, I had a dream about you. And if you're planning a vacation, don't go. Or don't get in a gray car. Or, hey, so and so's pregnant. And they'd be like, You're crazy, she's not pregnant. And of course, she would be. So, you know, th- those are those are all things that I think we're all capable of but we filter it out. We get taught that's just your imagination. It's just a coincidence. It's just a dream. And that's not true. It's an access point to our deeper, broader band of intelligence. And we forget.
0: Just your imagination. Whenever I hear that, I think to myself, that's a person who doesn't know they're talking about the big, the most important, right. valuable tool we possess.
1: That's right. Everything begins with imagination everything. We, right. we don't get up and get a glass of water without imagining it first. But right. it happens quickly. We don't think about it. You know, studies studies have been done which I find this is so incredibly fascinating that, you know, if you, there was a study done a long time ago where they took the, the thousands thousands of people and asked them questions to see who were the top optimists and who were the top pessimists, who scored the highest. <laughs> then they took the hundred of in each category and they had them Go through this test where they walked across this threshold, they were told they were going to be interviewed. That's not what it was for. There was a twenty dollar bill on the threshold. They wanted to see who would see it. ninety seven out of the hundred optimists, well, hundred percent of the optimists saw it ninety seven percent, ninety seven out of hundred picked the twenty up. And in the other category, one person saw it the in the in the pessimist category, one person saw the twenty. The other 98 stepped over it, and the one that saw it left it there because, you know, well, it wasn't his and he shouldn't pick it up. <laughs> so, but the and the article was about filters, how what we believe is our experience creates those barriers in our brain through which we filter, literally filter, what we see and what we hear. So when we when we relax those barriers, when we're willing to participate in the unknown then we have some freedom to see beyond what we imagine our limitations are because they are imagined limitations.
0: That is so true. I want to go back to the experience with the visitor in the cabin and the moment that you became scared because we're, we're talking in a way, a little bit a roundabout way, about that kind of moment now, those moments of limitation. Yes. And you, you you, didn't stay scared. What was going on with you? No, I, I
1: didn't stay. And what scared me was not, again, that, it's that moment of seeing the visitor, again, flesh and blood. Uh, you know, it's like, uh, you know, reaching out to touch something and have it touch you. That wasn't the scary part. It was when I when it van when it disappeared when it went back out the window and I sat back and then I started to see these images of the eye of Horus with my eyes closed or my eyes open. That for some reason was that momentary like I didn't understand that. Right, I could understand something in the window that touched me, but seeing something that I couldn't like again, my brain didn't know what to do with that. That was my moment of fear and then i sat and that's when i sat back against the wall and just stayed there and again the fear calmed down it went away but it was more i it was much more of a sense of um wonder and excitement and um curiosity than it was fear
0: that's interesting that your fear the fear changed into wonder because after all this was a positive experience in the sense yeah. that the eye of Horus announces that. <clears throat> that's not always true in these experiences. I've had some really rough things happen yes. lately. Rough, rough, yes. rough. Tell us about that. How do we how do we deal with that? I mean, I I've had things happen to me recently that are as bad as anything that's ever happened. Now, I, I can't say that without saying to the listeners exactly what I'm talking about. Give you an example. Um, I was with some friends. I was staying with some friends, uh, not here in California. And uh, one of them is an older lady, and there are a lot of caregivers coming and going in the house. And I've stayed there a lot. I mean, I know them well. When I went to bed, I opened my little box that I keep my pills in to take the evening pill, which consists of a... a, um, um, Cholesterol medication and one of those eye vitamins for old, that old people take, and that's it. It's, I don't take many pills, so there were two extra pills in it, and I thought, what is this? And I have a doctor there in, tex- in, in Texas I know very very well. We've been we're childhood friends, so I telephoned him and said, what is going on here? These some these pills. And I described the pills to him. He knew them very well. One of them was an anti-seizure medication. And one of them was a, um, um, uh, some kind of an other medication. Oh, an antidepressant. And they were both pills that my one of the older people in the, in the house took. And so I thought, the caregivers must be scared of me. <laughs> They're trying to knock me out with these pills. I'm getting out of here. And I, you know, there's no way I was going to sleep in that house at that point. So I got a hotel room and I left. And I went to the hotel. And I got ready for bed and put on my pajamas, brushed my teeth. And the most appalling thing then happened. I don't know if I was drugged or exactly how it was done. But I was suddenly... In a hallucinatory experience, not a dream. I was wide awake when it started. There was lying on the floor of the hotel room the naked body of a dead woman, and jumping up and down uh, in the in the uh, little little. It was sort of one of those rooms. It's a sort of half suite kind of thing, homewood suites or something. Was uh, this terrible? little sort of dwarf with a with a horrible, terrifyingly predatory grin on its face, jumping up and down. And I knew damn well it was a hallucination. I wasn't, it wasn't, it didn't capture me like that. And um, it went on for a, what seemed to me a very long time. And after it stopped, I thought, maybe I better go to the ER. And then I thought, no, I'm not. Home, and I'm not sure what the law is here, but if they find a controlled substance in my blood, they're liable to want to investigate this family. And I don't want to do it that way. I'm going to tell them what happened and let them decide what to do about it. They're, they're caregivers. But then I thought, I don't think this is the caregivers that did this because they didn't have any strange hallucinogens or anything. They're just a bunch of uh, innocent old women. And, you know, that's all they are, as sweet as they can be. So something else is going on here. And there has been a long period of time where something is trying to separate me from people I love and people I need. This would be people I love. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I decided to roll with it and to make that experience something I could use energetically by just being completely objective about it. And that's where I am with it now, and I want your advice.
1: Well, I think that's, when we have an experience that's very disturbing, again, you could try to analyze it like you did. Where did it come from? How did it get in my system? What happened? But the question I would invite you to ask is, what does it mean to me? Like, what did that image remind me of what might i be being shown or told or might this be a warning when you first described the image my thought was the stories about uh, you know dwarves no red caps right red caps which um if you that they their caps are made of blood they you know they're not especially friendly to humans he so, was
0: wearing a red shirt
1: ah actually well, see,
0: i didn't remember that until this minute but he was
1: so so my thought is, you know, maybe again, maybe there was some access to one of those between worlds where you got a glimpse or a glimmer of something going on in that in that other realm. Um I think that what you all you can do when you have an experience like that is ask the question, if this if this were a dream, what would it be telling me? Because in essence it is a symbol. It's it's a series of symbols.
0: It's it's it was an induced dream. It was like a something that, you know, something had been done to my mind, to my brain, or or some other way.
1: Or some other way. But even the symbols of like the two medications that were in there, right? An anti-seizure medication and an antidepressant. Like, what's that about? What what could that be speaking to? Some altered states, right? Some kind of altered state. Um, I, I find that When we have an experience like that, the first question I like to ask is, have I been in contact with anything or around people or around something energetically that might be like stuck on me, like gum on my shoe? Because energetically, when you travel a lot or when you see other realities, you can get you can bring something back or you could get something attached to you that you might just need to salt away, rinse off, create a protection, a barrier against. So that would be my, my first thing would be to look at the people in your life, and then look at whatever you've been doing energetically and see if there's something there that doesn't feel right, that feels off, that intuitively, you know, this is bringing something toward you that you don't want. And then you deal with it at that level. But beyond that, if that's not what's happening, then it's just the experience for the sake of the experience.
0: I felt like it was somebody doing what they've been doing all along in, in, for the past since since last April, which is trying to come between me and people I need and people I love. Yes, that, that's been the consistent the the consistent uh, theme.
1: And that's why my advice would be to to see if you can't jettison that energy to set up a protective barrier and um, get it away from you, get it off you. And if there are any people that you feel it's connected to, then, then likewise, you know, uh, cut those people, cut those people off.
0: The woman lying there with her eyes open, and she was obviously dead, a young woman. I didn't recognize her at all. But that worries me. I keep thinking about her and wondering what happened to her. And also the other entity that was there, No one who is acting like that is happy. They're suffering. They wouldn't be there if they weren't suffering like that. Yes. So in both cases, is there anything I can do
1: to help? Well, I think that the only thing that you can do to help is to keep, is to not feed the fear that whatever is creating that kind of scenario uses that energy. So if you can, like you did, take a step back and observe it, that offering your stability, your groundedness, your ability to stay, to not engage in that level of fear and horror is a help. It's useful. It's like when you have a screaming child and you don't get upset, they start to calm down. I think the best way we have of helping anyone around us is for us to stay grounded. So aside from that, there's really not much that you can do otherwise, you know, other than separate yourself from it. I think that, you know, if you feed it, if you go back and think about it and think about it and think about it, if you want to practice, you can call that situation back up. You can imagine that situation again and change the scenario You can reach out and touch that woman and see her come back to life. You can reach out with an energy barrier and banish that little being back into his own realm. You can also do that. You can imaginatively replay the situation and add something to it. Or you could reach out and calm the other little being down and see what the problem is. But again, that's what you'd have to do is to go back imaginatively and intuitively and engage the situation differently by re-entering that space. Does that make sense?
0: It makes sense. And I think that, you know, it's one of these things that's really, really complicated because yes. you have a situation where this was entirely real on some level. It was. Somebody put those pills in that Mm-hmm. There and they didn't belong there. Somebody yeah. physically did that.
1: Mm-hmm. Uh,
0: somebody managed to introduce what I'm pretty sure was a drug into my life, into my body. Probably I thought in the toothpaste, although the doctors I've talked to thought that it must have been some other way. I had been out to dinner with with the, this family bef- the, in the hours before. In other words, they thought I would have had to ingest more than than could be put in into toothpaste, but maybe not. I mean, you know, they were not none yeah, of them. Yeah, who
1: knows? Yeah,
0: uh, one of them said to me this. He said, "You know, those drugs that you, if you were t- taking them both together for the first time, was going to make you very spacey, and it was going to set you up for if you had had a hallucinogen added to them." that might have been a really, really hard experience. It might have been something you didn't come out of in completely a a, a good shape. So you're very lucky you didn't take them. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And I thought to myself, it's like someone was trying to destroy me. Someone who was not of this level of reality, but who could certainly dip into it enough to either gain control of the mind of one of these innocent nurses, or who came into the house and did it themselves.
1: Oh, again, so I think in that case, your best, your best case scenario is to create some protection.
0: You've said that yeah. before, and but this is, not, like, this is about not how to do that. In... Okay,
1: great. So one way to do that, my, again, because imagination is much more than imagination. It creates and moves energy in the world. So one of the best ways is to be able to breathe into and create a space around you like an egg and fortify it with your breath. See it take shape. See it in any way that works for you. Uh, Mine sometimes will look like chain mail or look like like a, a A porcupine, right? I don't have prickles on it. And and to imagine that vividly and to call upon whatever works for you, nature, spirits, elements, guides, guardians, God, whatever it is, to help you fill that space with energy. And that way, when something comes at you, it will bounce off that protective barrier and go back to sender. It'll go back to sender. It won't make it through, especially if you've had repeated experience with a similar energy. You can imagine it, key it to that energy. Imagine something like that coming towards you and bouncing off. And so you do that as a practice where you sit quietly and you breathe into it and reinforce that barrier. And you're not keeping everything out, you're not keeping everyone out, you're keeping out that which wishes you harm. So I there's a phrase that was given to me uh, by someone else who's a uh, shaman and I use it regularly. And I think it works uh, marvelously in all these situations. And it goes like this. May my doors and gates and paths be open and my doors and gates and paths between the worlds. And may they be closed to any who would harm me or those I love. May my doors and gates and paths be opened and my doors and gates and paths between the worlds. And may they be closed to any who would harm me or those I love. And I find that it works very well. And uh, Robert Moss is the person I learned that from.
0: Robert Moss.
1: Robert Moss. Hmm.
0: Um. I think I know... I think there's a spirit animal who is going to help me. I think I was, saw that spirit animal in your lap a little while ago.
1: I think you did.
0: I think that's probably what this call was all about from the beginning. That that this being has come with with help. I think that's what, is, what has happened here. I think that's what... I was so perplexed as to why... It was so strong that I had to call you, and at the same time that that was happening, is it a boy or a girl? The cat, do you know?
1: It's a girl, she's a
0: girl. She's a girl. Well, this is certainly a time when feminine power is becoming more and more more powerful, so it's appropriate, I guess. Yes, well.
1: And she hasn't gone far, by the way. She's right next to me. She's been next to me the entire time, sitting on a ledge about this big, just waiting for me to get off the phone, you know, just waiting for <laughs> me to get
0: off Well, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing, isn't it? It is. That this has happened. And that I will make that, that egg. Yes. And I will gain her protection because that's... That is the, some, someone is in the b- body of a cat. And uh, it's not a, for us to know what that means. We're never going to know. And that's a, fine. This is a little cat and just a little cat. But that is, there's more to it than that. Yes. You, you know, can you stay with us a little longer, Raven? Yes. You can. Okay. Because um, I'd like to get back to your childhood and where you are came from who you are uh and i don't think i'm going to break this up i think i'm gonna have this show for both the free dreamlanders and the subscribers and i'm not gonna run the crawl again because you all know what i need you to do and this wouldn't be happening if we didn't have the subscriber group and i'm so thankful to all of you and as and those who have come to me recently and who have stayed here for so long supporting this and making it happen and it's also got a wonderful social level to it folks so do come and participate in that and uh, raven will be with us in the subscriber video room soon i hope we'll 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 get that together in the next few weeks so tell us about where you came from what happened? When did this begin in your life? and I know where it must be a long time ago?
1: Well, a long time ago, I was very young. I was maybe four or five years old when I had my first memories of the visitor standing at the foot of my bed, my grandmother's bed actually. And um, I came from a, a household that was like across between six feet under in the Adams family. We were, you know, my father was a mortician. My grandmother, um, like I said, had dreams that came true. She was an army nurse. My grandfather had extraordinary experiences and um, coincidences, we'll call them that, one of which saved his life when he was in uh, World War One. My mother, uh, her side of the family was, uh, they're like Romanian gypsies. So I, I just, I kind of get it from all sides. My family never separated, dreaming and um, uh, intuition from regular life. I didn't know until I was well on in school that other people didn't see the dead because my grandmother could. She would see her dead brother, Mac. And it was not a big deal. It was not like, oh, paranormal. It was just like, oh, I saw Mac. Okay. It was just part of life. So when I first saw the visitor at the foot of uh, f- foot of my grandmother's bed, the first time I saw it, I didn't know what it, what I was seeing. I thought maybe somebody propped something up there and then it started to communicate with me. And I remember the second time I saw it, I was a little more I'm like what, cautious. And I talked to my grandfather and he said, well, are you afraid of it? Like, does it, do you get, you know, does it feel threatening? And I said, no. And he said, he suggested to me that I get, that I ask for its name, which at the time didn't make sense. And, but I logged it back in there and eventually I did. So I would see the visitor regularly show up at the foot of the bed, and then I would have adventures, for lack of a better word. I would have dreams, I would fly. I would largely, I had the experience of like flying out the bedroom window and down the hill towards the river. I grew up in the Hudson Valley, no surprise there. Yonkers right on the Hudson River, right? Um, But I saw things and I learned things, uh, and it was, uh, and that's, the communication largely took place from mind to mind. There was no words. Eventually, I did ask the question, "What is your name?" And I was given a name that wasn't a name. That's I was told F A R B, Farb, but I was just given it as separate letters. I was see, I was shown the letters. Not, I didn't hear them, and I was told the message I got is, "This is what I am not." I didn't understand it, but I remembered it. So years went by. Um, my experiences. Mid middle of the night experiences with the visitors tapered off. Nothing happened for a while, a number of years, and then I was in high school, my freshman year of high school. And in my first biology class, my the teacher wrote f- fish, amphibians, reptiles, and birds on the board, and I look down and I see F A R B. This is what I am not from. You know, back when I was maybe seven years old and got that memo. Well, I felt this rush of adrenaline and heat. My nose started to bleed. And I had to get out of the classroom and go sit in the bathroom for a minute and and contain myself. So that was after years of no contact that happened. And after that, (coughs) excuse me, after that happened is when I had another uh, experience, a very remarkable experience with the visitors after not having contact for a very long time. And um, so I was 13. And at this point I was sleeping in the top bunk. My sister who usually slept in the bottom bunk was off to college or somewhere. But I, um, I saw something like on the fire escape and we lived in a tenement apartment building. You know, we had fire escapes. And my first thought was, oh no, somebody's trying to break in. And, and I sat up on the bunk and I thought, well, I'll hear them. Like They have to go past my father. My father and mother are sleeping on a fold-out couch in the living room. He's going to jump up and throw them out. But in a minute or two, this face, the visitor face, rose by the side of the bed. And I had this experience of it was as if I were, I, were, I, went, I went through this experience as if every member of my family, one at a time, vanished from my life. And I was being asked how that would be for me, or this is what this would be for you. This is what this would feel like. And it was fascinating and strange and a little spooky. And I wasn't like terrified of it. It was just weird. And so when after that exercise, after every member of my family was vanished from my experience for a moment, the person with the least energy in the experience, which happened to be my mother, because I hadn't... um My mother had been home for two years. She had had a heart attack and she was recovering nicely and supposed to be fine. My grandfather had heart condition and we expected him to die any minute. He didn't. He outlived everybody else in my family. Very long story short after that encounter. um, And I I think the only person I probably told at the time might've been my sister, but about six weeks later, it was just, it was a week after my 14th birthday. Um, my mother died suddenly at home. And I was very clear, the memo that I got when I'd had the experiences, when you need me, I will be there. And that's what I felt when I had stayed home from school that day. Uh, Again, strangely, against all odds, I'm in high school. Why am I staying home from school? It had snowed a little, there was no big deal, but my parents were flexible, they didn't care. I came down. I sat with my mother who was sewing something on the couch. She took this medication for her heart that she um, it was actually the first time she took it. And within about a minute, she'd had a uh, stroke and died. And even though my father and grandfather worked on her, I immediately went reflected back to that experience of being what I would call prepared at that moment. I knew she was dead. I knew she wasn't coming back. And I knew that what was, was going to sustain me in that moment was my contact with the unknown, with the visitors, with things that other people could not uh, relate to. I'll say it that way. And and that's what happened. It was a very hard time in my family after that. But my and and I and I won't say that I had a lot of visitor experiences after that immediately. I didn't. But I had very deep dreams and I had very profound uh, visions of things in that time period for a year or two after that. And I know that that all came out of that experience. So. Um, and yeah. it, was a,
0: it was a medication that she shouldn't probably have taken.
1: Yes. It was the first time she took it.
0: And I, of course, knew <coughs> I didn't take it. Mm-hmm. I'm still here. How interesting that is. I don't know if it's a coincidence or a synchronicity or what or I don't
1: I don't know what it is, but um yeah. yeah, that was my experience.
0: Well, Raven, this has just been awesome. I I had no idea what would happen when I texted you earlier today saying that uh we needed to talk on the show because of what had happened. Now I know. Mm-hmm. Uh I've you know this spirit of this presence has come in the form of what's her name storm
1: uh storm shadow
0: storm shadow uh well that's very well put because she came in a storm and there's someone else in there (laughs) she's a she's a cat big time but Mm -hmm. then there's something like all of us we are we contain the shadow and she contains the shadow yes and it's the shadow the shadow and the world of the shadow that our imagination can travel so well if we use it with discipline and rigor and love yes yeah all right so what is the last thing that comes to mind raven dana Ravendana.com, obviously a fairly remarkable human being. And uh, I mean, I'm putting it mildly. Uh, So do go to Ravendana.com and engage with her. I'm sure you'll have a a remarkable experience. And they can get through to your YouTube page from there?
1: Yes, they can. Yep, they can sign up for it. They can find my email and my phone number and everything's there. Yes.
0: Okay, great. Okay, so... Does anything come to mind that we haven't talked about that you that sort of are we are we done?
1: I I think we're pretty good with. I think that you know, the only thing that comes to mind is that you know, there are lots of things in life that are going to be disturbing and frightening to us, and if we get stuck on those, we're going to miss out. That we are surrounded by so much wonder and beauty, and um, the intensity of experience is such a beautiful thing to be able to enjoy living in these three dimensions while we are embodied, cause we won't have, we won't be forever. So to yeah. enjoy, enjoy, like smoke them while you got them, right? And enjoy your senses while you have them because- and,
0: um, it, Enjoy living in these three dimensions yeah. while you have them. That's very good and wise advice. Raven Dana, thank you so much for being with us today.
1: Thank you, Whitley. I appreciate Dreamland.
0: you for inviting me on. I love you, my friend. I love you, too, so much. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by UnknownCountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Strieber is your Dreamland host, and I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.